It's good to see you this evening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will get started. Father, we are glad to be in your house tonight. We're thankful for this time that we can be together. I pray that you'd bless the effort. Lord, as it's made to preach your word, I pray that you'd give me clarity of thought, that you would allow me to say what I believe you've laid on my heart tonight. I pray that it would be a help to your people. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, I want to begin with a truth that applies or has applied to every child at some point in their life, and that would be this, that they have fixed their attention on something, and whatever that thing is, they now want it more than anything else. I think we would agree, would we not, that every child has had a moment like that at some point in their lives They have fixed their attention on something, and they now want that more than anything else. To illustrate what I'm talking about, I'll just very quickly go over a couple of things. From my childhood, it would have been something like this. That bike. Does that sound familiar? Okay. Y'all are a little quiet tonight. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, that bike, you know, you would see it in the store, wherever it was, and that was the bike you just had to have. It may have been that toy, you know, walking through Walmart or TGNY, whatever it was, and, and you saw that toy on the shelf, and that became what I or some other child in that era would have been fixated on, And they wanted that more than anything else in the world. Today, it would be something like this, a new game system, maybe a new cell phone. But something to that effect, the young person gets it in their mind that that's what they want more than anything else. And it is there many times until they get what they want. As that is so, I want us to think about this that would also be true of kids whether it be from 35, 40 years ago, or today, and that would be this, that if you gave them something that was close but not exact to what it was they were wanting, that still would not be good enough. If you think with me on this, you know this to be true, that if they wanted the red bike and you bought them a maroon bike... It's close, but they really wanted the red one. If they wanted this particular toy and you got them something that was close, but it was not exact, that may have been a great toy, but it wasn't what they wanted. And I think this evening, if we would be honest, we as adults would have to say this, we can still identify with the child around us. I think any of us who are honest, we would have to admit this, that, that sometimes we, we get fixated on something, and that is what we want more than anything else. It's not a new bike, but it might be a new set of wheels. It might not be a game system, but it might be some new toy for us. And we want it, we want it, and we want it, and we want it real bad. And though we're not trying to be immature, though we're not trying to be selfish, 
We're, we're not trying to be hard to get along with. We also know this, that if someone came along and gave us something close to what we wanted, but it wasn't exactly what we wanted, we might be grateful And with our maturity as an adult, we might express that gratitude. But down deep inside, what would we really be thinking? We'd be thinking this. That's nice, but it's not exactly what I wanted. I wanted the silver one, and he got me the cream one. It's the same idea, but it's not exact. Now, I'm trying to show us something here that that I hope that we'll all, again, acknowledge and admit to tonight, and that is this. We understand the mindset of becoming consumed with something, so much so that that is the only thing that we are willing to settle for if it is within our capabilities. We understand that, do we not? All right. So that in mind, turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to begin. And as you're finding your place there, I want to remind us of a couple of things that I said a few weeks ago when we were in this same portion of Scripture or this same chapter. I want to remind us that when God created this earth, He did so in a fashion where there were no faults or no flaws of any kind in any manner. God created a perfect, sinless world. That is a world that you and I cannot understand. That is a world that you and I cannot grasp. Our minds cannot begin to to really comprehend what it would be like to live in a perfect world. At the same time, whenever God created Adam and Eve, he did not create flawed individuals. He created perfect people in Adam and Eve who knew what we would refer to as sin. They knew no sin. They were without fault. They were without flaw. But we know that in chapter 3, Satan, in the form of a serpent comes to Eve, and then she partakes of the fruit that they were forbidden to eat of. She then gives it to her husband, Adam, and he too takes of the fruit and eats of it. So this evening, I want us to continue now, looking in verse number 7. It says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So here is what I believe. If you choose to believe differently, that's fine. Obviously, I think I'm right, and I would think you're wrong. But here is what I believe, that as soon as Adam and Eve took the bite of the fruit that they were forbidden to eat of, I believe immediately and instantaneously everything changed. I don't think it was a gradual change. I don't think it was an evolution of sorts where it began to dawn on them and it began to to, to be a realization in their mind that something was different and that, that things were not the way that they once were. I think as soon as they partook of that fruit, immediately those scales, so to speak, or the innocence that they had had over their eyes, I think immediately it fell from their eyes and they knew instantaneously 
things were different. Things were not the same because the scripture says that their eyes were open and they both knew that they were naked. Now, why the scripture feels the need to tell us that, we don't know. But obviously, they began to realize uh, this is not right, this is not normal, and there seems to have been some shame associated with what they now realize to be their new reality. Because it says that they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, so they obviously felt the need to cover themselves once they realized things were different. So that in mind, I want us to jump down to verse number 14. Again, familiar portion of scripture to us. We're we're all familiar with this, I think. But in verse number 14... Or actually, let's jump up to verse 13. It says, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so in verse number 14, down through the the, the next few verses of the chapter, here's what we've got. We've got God explaining to Adam and Eve and even to the serpent, Satan, as to what their consequences are going to be because of their disobedience. God makes it clear immediately that there is going to be a consequence for their disobedience. Now that in mind, let's consider this, that God is God and God has the right to do whatever he wants to do and it is always right. God has the ability to do what he wants to do because he is God And whatever God chooses to do, it is always the right response. And I say that for this reason, that in light of the fall, in light of the sin of Adam and Eve, which brought about a separation from them and Christ or God in their relationship with him and their fellowship with him, I want us to see this, that God could have responded any way he chose to. He could have chose to have literally physically killed them the moment they partook of the fruit. He reserved that right. He reserved the freedom to be able to do that, but we know that that's not what he did. So here's what I want us to see. Notice in verse number 8, this is after Adam and Eve obviously have eaten and their eyes have been opened. They are now, it seems, ashamed and somewhat scared. And so now it says in verse number 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and, e- and, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So what's happening here, and again we know this, is God has shown up in the Garden of Eden there in the cool of the day, And he is talking, which it would seem to indicate that he was calling out the names of Adam and Eve. And they have hid themselves. For what reason? 
Apparently, they don't want to be seen by God. They know that things are different. They know that they've been disobedient. They know that they've not done what they were called upon by God to do. They have disobeyed him. And so it says that Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So again, Adam just says, I was afraid. I heard your voice. I knew I was naked. I hid myself. And so in verse number 11, he that being God said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And then that's when Adam begins to blame Eve for the whole situation. Now tonight, what I want us to see in this scripture is this, is Adam and Eve obviously were the first human beings to walk on this earth, right? It was their sin that separated them from God, both in relationship and in fellowship. It was their sin that put that gap between them, right? As a result of that gap that was now between them, that was present between them and God, I want us to see this Adam and Eve did not pursue God to try to make things right. It was God who pursued Adam and Eve in an effort to make reconciliation in this relationship. Uh, This is so very important that we see this. Adam and Eve were not saying to themselves, listen, we've got to get to God as quickly as we can and try to make things right. Let them know we've sinned. Let them know we failed. Let them know that something has changed and something is different. No, it was not them who pursued God. It was God who pursued them, seeking to reconcile them back unto him. Again, God could have responded in any fashion he wanted, but his response in this moment was, I will seek them out in hopes of restoration and reconciliation. That takes place within the first few pages of our scripture. With that in mind, I want us to think about something that we see all throughout the Scripture. And that would be this. God has always been in the process of pursuing people in hopes that the relationship that had been severed might be restored and reconciled. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, let's just think about this for a couple of moments. You only read a few more chapters in the scripture there in the book of Genesis. And what do you find? You find that the known world at that time was pretty evil and it was pretty wicked. And God was displeased that he had created man. And what did he decide to do? He decided that he was going to destroy the earth with a flood. Did he not? We believe that if we're Bible believers, and yet before the destruction of this earth and all of mankind, again, known in that day, what did God give the people of that day? He gave them Noah. 
the preacher of righteousness. You know what God was doing in that whole time that that Noah was building the ark? You know what God was doing by by giving Noah the voice that he gave him and the opportunity to preach to those whomever might listen? He was giving the people who were living in sin, who were living in disobedience, he was giving them a chance to be reconciled and restored unto God. We have got to understand this, that within that ark, there was room for far more people than just Noah's family The fact that they were not reconciled unto God was not God's fault. It was because they chose not to take advantage of what God provided for them by way of reconciliation. You read just a little bit further, and what do you have? You've got the children of Israel. What is the pattern of the children of Israel over and over and over throughout the Scripture? It is this. A choice on their part to live in sin, which put a gap between them and God by way of relationship and fellowship. Just like with Adam and Eve, there was always a consequence for their sin. But what did God always raise up in their midst? He always raised up a prophet or a preacher. And what was the message of the preacher? It was always a message of repentance and make things right. Why? Because God wants you to be reconciled unto him. God was never looking to judge the children of Israel. He was never looking to inflict pain upon them. That was never the desire of God. That was the byproduct or what would eventually happen because of their sin. But God was always trying to get his children of Israel to see their sin, to see where they were at in their relationship with him, and have that restored and made right. The Old Testament is filled with those stories. Think about the people of Nineveh. Not exactly God's chosen people. Would we agree on that? And what did God provide for the people of Nineveh? Though bitter, a preacher calling out this truth that there will be judgment. And what did it provoke from the people of Nineveh, from the king down to the lowest of people? It prompted repentance. Why would God have ever sent Jonah to the people of Nineveh? Because God wanted to see reconciliation between people and himself. God knew that the relationship with him and the people of Nineveh was not at all what it was supposed to be. And so again, what did he provide? He provided someone to say, thus saith the Lord. And they realized repentance was what they needed to engage in. And it saved them from their destruction. You find it interesting if you think about this, or at least I do. You go to the New Testament, and what is that story all about? The story of the gospel throughout the New Testament is this. 
God desires his relationship and man's relationship to be reconciled or to be made right. It was Christ himself who said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have done these things for you. If you would have just come to me, if you would have just repented, these things would have been yours or these things would not have been so. What did God through Christ want in the days of Christ? He just wanted people to repent and to be made right with him so that the relationship and the fellowship could be restored. It was Paul who said to Timothy that God would have all men to be saved. Paul said, Timothy, this is a basic Bible doctrine. God wants everyone to be saved. He would not that any would perish. He wants everyone to be saved. So so follow this. From Adam and Eve, all through the Old Testament, then with the New Testament, all the way to the very end, what is God consumed with? He is consumed with the reconciliation of man with him through repentance. Whether it be Adam and Eve, whether it be the people of Noah's day, whether it be the children of Israel and and their long history, whether it be the people of Nineveh or the Jews of the New Testament or the Gentiles that Paul and others preached to, everything about God was this. Reconciliation between fallen man and a sinless, holy, perfect, righteous God. can't help but read through the scripture and see this not only was God concerned about reconciliation in the big picture he was consumed with reconciliation on an individual level you say well what do you mean well when Abraham got out of line And you have 13 years of silence where seemingly we can only kind of assume that that things were pretty cool between God and Abraham for a while. God pursued Abraham individually for the purpose of reconciliation. It happened to Moses. It happened to David. It happened to Noah. It happened to Peter. It happened to Paul. Do we see this? Over and over and over, all throughout the scripture, here is what God is mindful of, and here is what God is fixated on, and here is what God is consumed with, and that is man being reconciled unto him. So if that's what we see from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, what should you and I think is still pretty important to God today? It is still reconciliation between himself 
and a fallen man. God tonight would that all would be saved. God tonight looks down on our assembly and God tonight looks down on this earth and here is what he sees. He sees a fallen people. He sees a fallen world and more than anything, here is what God wants. He wants man, listen now, he wants man to be reconciled unto him. But that is dependent upon the individual who God is pursuing. See, God is still speaking to the hearts of men and women and children. And what he is still saying is this, is repent, humble yourself, call upon me. And if you will just humble yourself and repent and call upon me, thou shalt be saved. No one has to go to hell unless they choose to go to hell because they refuse to humble themselves and call upon Christ. I'm just saying to us tonight, if there is someone in this room this evening who has never humbled yourself, who has never called upon Christ to save you, more than anything, God wants the relationship with you to be made right. That's what God wants. But for those of us who are saved, for those of us who would say, Brother Kyle, I, I, I did that years ago, years ago at, a, at an altar, years ago in, in my home with my parents, whatever the story is, you may say, Brother Kyle, I did that years ago, right. But you know what every one of us are? We're still fallen creatures. And we still sin. And there's still a consequence for our sin. And whenever we choose to live in sin, you know what it does? It severs and it separates and it hinders not the relationship in that we lose our salvation, but it separates and it hinders and it places this great gap between us and God in our fellowship with him. No one can live in disobedience to God's will for their lives, even as a saved person, and have fellowship with God in the way that they ought. And you know what God wants more than anything else? He wants the relationship to be restored. Whatever the sins are, whatever the transgressions are, whatever the offenses are, I, I, I can assure you tonight upon the authority of the Scripture, here is what God wants. Listen now, this is what God wants more than anything for the relationship to be made right. But we have to be willing to humble ourselves. Say, Lord, I'm tired of living in this sin. Lord, I'm tired of living in this disobedience. Lord, I am tired of trying to do this my way. God, I've had enough of this. And God, I'm ready to surrender and I'm ready to yield unto you. God, it's just not fun anymore. That's, that's what we've got to do. But I want us to see this, that that's what God wants more than anything else. So that in mind, knowing that that's what God wants more than anything else, and the scripture would prove it. kind of begs this question, in my opinion. If God wants the relationship to be made right, 
If God wants the relationship to be made right more than anything else, what do we want more than anything else in this relationship? Does that make sense? If God wants this relationship restored more than anything else, when sin has put this divide between us and God by way of fellowship, do we want a right relationship with God more than anything else? Can I just remind us tonight that that should be our greatest objective in life? To have a right relationship with him? To be able to say all to Jesus, I surrender. To be able to say nothing between me and the Savior. That should be our greatest desire. Our greatest desire should be this. To be able to say I am crucified with Christ. I'm dying to self. Our greatest desire should be this. That I may know him. That I may know him. Our greatest desire should be this. Like Peter said, like Hebrews tells us. Our greatest desire should be to remind ourselves... We are strangers and we are pilgrims just passing through. And there is nothing more important in this world than my relationship with him. Of all the things that matter in this world, of all the things that try to capture my attention, you and I as children of God, we should come to this conclusion that our relationship with God is as important to us as it is to him. He died for us so that we might be reconciled unto him. The least we should be willing to do then is live for him, and we will if that's the most important thing. And yet, here's the problem with so many of us. We settle for something other than what should be most important to us. What should be the most important thing? A right relationship with God. Amen. How is that achieved? How is that obtained? How, how is that brought to fruition in our lives? Well, we have to be willing to be led by the Spirit of God. We have to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit when we sin. And we have to be quick to repent and say, I'm putting that away and I'm making things right. That's what's got to happen if we're really going to take this relationship with God serious. Yet all too often, here's what happens. So many of God's people just kind of dabble with the idea of their relationship with God. But it's not really priority. And all you've got to do is watch and observe and listen 
to know that to be true. And so this evening, as best I can, I, I hope this has been clear. I hope this has been easy enough for us to understand. But I just want to say it one more time to try to summarize this. The Bible makes it clear that nothing is more important to God than a right relationship between him and people. That's what he wants more than anything else. I ask us tonight, is the relationship that important to us? We can't serve two masters. You either love one or you hate the other, but you can't serve both. We can't have one foot in the house of God, so to speak, and another foot in the world and, and say it really matters the most to us. No, we're either all in or we're not at all. How sad. How sad. If our relationship with God, as his children of God, as his children, is not top priority in our lives. Do we all need to have a tune-up every once in a while? You better believe it. But some don't even know the check engine light is on, so to speak. Is it really the most important thing in your life? Or are you just going through the motions? I'm going to say this and then we're done. You may sit here tonight and you may say, Brother Kyle, I've never humbled myself and called upon Christ to save me. That's the first step in this whole relationship. Without your willingness to humble yourself and to put your pride away and to just come before Christ and say, God, I can't do this on my own and I call upon you to save me until you're willing to do that, the relationship will never be what it's supposed to be. It's that simple. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. God, you know the heart of every person in here. You know whether or not the person is saved, whether or not the person is right with you. You know whether or not we take this relationship with you as serious as you take it with us. Lord, it's quite possible that some in here tonight are lost and they just need to be saved. It's possible that some in here tonight have just been playing games in their walk with you and they need to get serious once more. And Lord, for those who are taking it serious right now, that they'd be able to say in all honesty that it's the most important thing in their lives, I pray that you'd help to keep it that way, that we might walk in obedience with you. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.